Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. I'm very excited to welcome Rachel Benedict, our lead speech therapist with Talking with Tata. Rachel leads a lot of our speech and language social groups, as well as sees private clients in the home and school environment. Rachel has worked with Talking with Tata for about two years and change now, and we found her just through the community and social media and have never looked back since. And today we talk about what parents really need to look for in a speech therapist. We also talk about when to be concerned about speech and language or your child's language skills. She really gives us a lot of insight and tips for parent involvement and just how and when to really get involved with the speech therapist and the collaborative approach that the speech therapist might need to use. I work with children around ages 12 months and up. Maybe they're a late talker. Maybe we're suspecting some other developmental delay. And I work closely with the family. So early intervention is a family-oriented approach. Everything is done in the natural setting. It's child-led. We want them to be leading the session, what interests them. And it's a lot of parent training and parent coaching. So telling the parents, I want you to listen to me. I want you to watch how I'm overemphasizing my words or I'm giving choices. Wait time. Wait time, exactly. And having the parents then carry it over at home. Just as a reminder, each week we are going to do Tata's Tip of the Week where we give parents and children just some guidance into the speech and language world. This week we are talking about parent involvement. And parent involvement is somewhat tricky because we can't control how much parents are involved. But it is our job as speech pathologists, as Rachel alludes to in the podcast, that we need to do our best to get parents and families and just caretakers involved. Whether it's mom, dad, the nanny, it does not matter, but whoever is with the child throughout the day, we need to teach them. Rachel talks about how she provides videos for parents who are maybe working and can't be in the session or can't meet with her for two minutes afterwards. Or she brings a parent into the session and we teach them what we did. So our biggest suggestion for parents is practice. Practice what we teach. We are with your child for about 30, 45 minutes, one or two days a week. As much as we are going to try to really teach them as much as we can in that moment, being and just working with your child is going to really do that carryover effect that we're looking for. We sometimes give parent homework, but the most important part is whatever we teach Do it at home, whether that is wait time and you're going to wait 10 seconds when you ask your child a question, or if it's just practicing the S sound when you are cooking or playing with them and saying stop or sauce every single time. So this week's Tata's tip of the week is trying to be as involved in speech therapy as possible, parent involvement, and just really doing the homework that your speech pathologist gives you. And now we're going to jump right into our conversation with Rachel. I'm very excited to welcome my favorite speech pathologist, Rachel Benedict, who is the head speech therapist with Talking with Tata. Rachel leads many of our speech and language groups, as well as sees our private clients in the home and school environment. So Rachel, welcome. Thanks for having me. My first question is, how amazing is it to work for me? No, just kidding. (laughs) The Uh, best. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got interested in speech therapy, and just your background in education to go to speech. So it all started in high school. I knew I definitely wanted to do something in the medical field. 
I started taking sign language classes when I was in high school. I volunteered at a deaf school in Long Island. Wow. And I saw that there was a speech therapist that were closely with a lot of the deaf students. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So I applied to Syracuse University, started communication science and disorders there, took my first class and never looked back. So I got my bachelor's there. Then I moved on and I got my master's at Hofstra University. Okay. So you're a New Yorker. Yes. And <laughs> school, kind of like me, started with school, then are an interest in it, and then you took a class. For those who don't know, communication sciences and or disorders is a speech and language major, basically, for yes. most undergrad students. So tell us a little bit about the different environments you worked in. Have you worked in schools primarily, private practice? Tell us a little bit about that. So my first job right after graduating from my master's program was a school in New York City. I primarily worked with high-functioning autism. Okay. So I did a lot of social groups at the school, also did a lot of articulation and phonology. So that age group was kindergarten through fifth grade. Then COVID hit and I <laughs> moved down to Miami and I worked in a school setting and I also worked in a private practice setting. So the difference there is in the schools, you're working primarily in small groups and at the private practice, it's one-on-one -on -one and more individualized. I did that for about a year and then Talking with Tata came around yeah. and here I am working for Talking with Tata. The best job ever. Yeah. I feel like people think that speech therapy is a lisp. Or you can't say your THs. I know when I was a kid, I was in speech for a few years because I sucked my thumb. So my teeth went out. Um, it was very cute, but it didn't sound cute. So what, you know, what are the different populations you've worked with? Um, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about, you know, there's autism, there's speech, there's language, there's social. Um, what is speech therapy in general? What would you say? So yeah, I totally agree. A lot of people, when they meet me, they're like, oh, so you work with lisps? And I'm yeah. like, there's so much more to it than just that. Yeah. I have friends and colleagues who work specifically with adults, so stroke victims or people who work in a hospital setting and they focus just on swallowing. And people will say, what? A speech therapist does swallowing? That's what I do. Yes, exactly. So that's what a lot of speech therapists do. But for me personally, I specialize working in children. My passion is early intervention. So what does that mean? Early intervention is children who are maybe at risk for late talking, maybe developmentally delayed. So I work with children around ages 12 months and up. Maybe they're a late talker. Maybe we're suspecting some other developmental delay. And I work closely with the family. So early intervention is a family-oriented approach. So everything is done in the natural setting. It's child-led. We want them to be leading the session, what interests them. And it's a lot of parent training and parent coaching. So telling the parents, I want you to listen to me. I want you to watch how I'm overemphasizing my words mm -hmm. or I'm giving choices. Wait time. Wait time, exactly. And having the parents then carry it over at home. So that's what I specialize in. Mm -hmm. I also have a passion for articulation disorders and childhood apraxia of speech. So there I became a prompt level one trained speech pathologist. So I work closely with those types of patients and I work on articulation disorders. Okay. So again, for those who don't know, prompt, can you kind of give us a quick explanation as to what that means? So prompt is a technique used by a speech therapist and it gives that tactile support and tactile mm -hmm. cue to help a child produce appropriate articulation. Okay, so if I needed prompt and I couldn't say like my M or P sound, so like a bilabial meaning both of our lips, 
what would you do in that case? So in that case, I would take my fingers and I would put pressure on their lips to make sure that they come together. Sometimes children have difficulty with vowels, so mm -hmm. they're not moving their lips appropriately. So it's pushing their uh, their cheeks together to do the appropriate lip rounding. Got it. So it definitely helps, or even with their tongue. A lot of children aren't moving their tongue appropriately, so I give that little pressure down here to help them with their tongue movement. Okay, so it seems like you do have a passion working with kids. I know I work with children, adults. I really like the whole genre or I guess um, range of populations. Why children for you? Do you just love children or do you like to see the difference you make with their families? What's your reason? For me, the number one thing is the progress. Working closely with the parents and just having a parent call me or text me and be like, Miss Rachel, they just started saying Apple, they never did it before. And just watching that progress and becoming so close with the families, for me, mm -hmm. it just like lights a fire within me and it motivates me to continue to work with the families and see that progress. Right. It's like that positive reinforcement. It's not just for the kids, but it's also for the speech therapist. Exactly. Got it. Okay. So we learned a little bit about the different places you've worked, different populations you've worked with. Can you tell us, you had mentioned early intervention. Mm -hmm. So when should parents, you know, call someone for speech therapy? Sometimes I have parents say, they're not talking, they're 10 months. And I say, okay, let's give it, you know, a right. few months. Right. But how do you know the difference between my child's not saying something at 12 months versus there's actually something to be concerned with? Right. So I think there are a lot of contributing factors. Definitely what we know is by 12 months, children be, should be saying their first words. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there that a first word can actually be considered a gesture as well. So a child doing more with their hands is also considered a first word. So I'll, a lot of times I'll ask parents, well, are they gesturing? What is their form of communication? Got it. So typically around 12 months is when we like to see, okay, what's going on with the child? Are they babbling at all? Are they gesturing at all? So if I'm seeing delays with that, if I'm seeing no gesturing, if I'm seeing no babbling and no communication intent whatsoever, mm -hmm. that's when I'll say, okay, let's start that, this evaluation process. Okay. And then I'll do a standardized assessment, see where the child falls, and then we'll go from there. You know, there's so many different um, approaches. Some speech therapists and teachers just kind of do like the wait and see. Right. What do you think about that? I think early intervention is key. So yeah. what we know is about 70 to 80% of children who are delayed will catch up on their own. Mm -hmm. But we don't know if your child is going to be in that 70% that will catch up on their own or if they're in that 20 to 30 percent that needs an intervention and if they don't get it they might start to lag behind their same aged peers. Yep. So it's really important to I believe start early intervention as early as you can because you don't want them to start to lag behind. Right and I think some people think I don't want to be that crazy mom who's paranoid but why not just get an evaluation in my opinion. I always say right. let us beat your child. It might be completely fine and we might say you're good let's right. reevaluate in six months but what is the harm? Right. Um, there is no harm. Early. Right. So I believe starting as early as possible mm -hmm. is the best. And sometimes it just takes a few sessions working with the speech therapist and doing that parent coaching. Mm -hmm. And then they see like an explosion in language. Yeah. So you brought up an interesting point, parent coaching. Um, I know you had said that you really like parent involvement and that's a lot of early intervention. What about parents who really are either too busy, they might care, and they just can't, they don't have the time, or parents who maybe just don't realize that they actually have to be a part of it. They think you're working with their child for an hour or two. What do you do in that case if the parents aren't involved? 
Right. So a lot of times there's working parents, so they're not around when I'm doing the sessions. Mm-hmm. And it might be another caretaker at home when I'm working with their child. Mm-hmm. So in those instances, I really try to take videos during the session to send it to the parents. I send thorough recaps after. This is exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. I also like to send parents different strategies for, to work on at home. So maybe giving the parent a homework of the week. So this week, we're, I want you to practice wait time. Mm-hmm. So don't answer every question for your child. It's so important to wait and pause and give your little one the opportunity to process and then make that verbalization or vocalization back to you. Got it. So if they might not be there during the session, then you're giving them, let's say, like, quote unquote, homework for them to do later on. Exactly. And then what about parents who do not do your homework? Do you just put your all into the hour that you have with the child or is there something else you can do? I put my all, as Mm -hmm. always, but I always tell the parents it is so important to carry over at home. Mm -hmm. For example, even not just with early intervention, but let's say a child's working on articulation and they're working on their S sound Mm -hmm. and I'm with them 30 minutes one time a week. There's only so much I can do. The key to success for any speech therapist is repetition. So the more practice, the better. And I always try to tell my parents, the more practice, the better. Even if you do five minutes a day, five minutes a day of working on that S sound or five minutes a day practicing wait time, Mm -hmm. it's just so important. Yeah, and they can do it when they're making dinner. They can do it when they're playing. You know, you can say slow 20 times if they're working on an S blend. Exactly. And just repetition. I completely agree with that. Exactly. As a lot of our listeners know, we do a lot of classes we do a lot of sensory work. Why do you think sensory play and just sensory work in general is important? Well, I think sensory play is so important because what we know from research is that it helps with imagination. Mm-hmm. It helps with critical thinking skills. It also helps with feeding skills. So it is just so important to immerse your child in that sensory play from such a young age, mm-hmm. whether it's water play or sand play or playing with pasta and touching different textures. It's so important for a child's development. A lot of times people come to class and think, oh, cute, we're playing with water. Or, oh, great, Rachel brought a sensory bin to the private today to work on sounds. But really, we're kind of incorporating 20 different goals. Right. You know, when you're playing music and you're singing with the kids, you're using inflection. There's so many different things that go into it. Yes. Um, Eye contact, right? Exactly. Okay, great. So how do you stay up to date with all the research? You know, I know I'm not necessarily sitting there reading articles every single night, but we're learning a lot. So Mm -hmm. what's your method to just kind of staying up to date with everything? So as a speech therapist, we have an organization called the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Mm -hmm. Every year they have a convention where there's thousands of speech therapists that come together. They're presenting their research. I love going. I try and go every single year because I think it's just great to learn about different research. Also, a lot of times I come across a client and I'm like, oh, no, I don't know what to do with this client. And Mm -hmm. it's up to us as a speech therapist to do our homework and to also keep up with the research. So I'm always looking online to see what other research articles are out there. Mm -hmm. For example, I had a client that was drooling a lot during our sessions and I did not know what to do. I'm like, what should I do about this? And I went back and I looked up a program called Talk Tools. It's a great method to work on that. So it's blowing whistles and really building that oral motor strength. Mm -hmm. And then I'm now able to implement it with my clients. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's so important as a speech therapist to continue with the education so we could provide best practice for our clients. I completely agree. I actually had someone the other day say to me, 
I am nervous that my child is possibly on the spectrum or they're not, you know, looking at me. They're not talking. They're three, no eye contact. What would you do? Because we can't diagnose an autism or just any of the spectrum disorders. So what do you say to parents? Right. So this is a tricky one. Um, as a speech therapist, you're right, we cannot diagnose, but we work with clients who have autism spectrum disorder all the time. Yeah. So we definitely know all the signs to look for. Mm -hmm. Typically, autism isn't diagnosed till two years old. Mm -hmm. So I would usually wait until that time. And if I'm noticing some major clinical signs such as stimming, and those who don't know stimming, it could be in all different forms. Maybe like they're shaking their hands a lot or stimming their eyes. Mm -hmm. So I look for those signs, interest in repeating certain words. And then if that's the case at around two years old, I then might refer to a psychologist or a pediatrician. So that way they could do a more thorough evaluation. Yep. And sometimes it's hard because you don't want to avoid the subject, right? right. You don't want to wait. But at the same time, we can't diagnose it. Right. So we can treat it, but unfortunately we can't diagnose it. And sometimes parents either don't want to hear it right. or – it's hard for you to say, oh, maybe, you know, has their pediatrician, you know, seen them in a while or developmental pediatrician. It is hard as a specialist. I find that we can't be the ones to say it, but we have to somehow hint it and right. refer to them that something's going on here. Definitely tricky to yeah. navigate that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't change the way that I'm practicing. Yeah. I'm still going to treat them the same way that I would with or without that diagnosis. Yep. But yes, we cannot diagnose it. We can only refer. Yep. And yeah, I think exactly. Like you said, you treat it the same, but and you treat the child the same, but just that missing piece there is really tough for us. Would you say that speech therapy is the same for each family and for each child, or is it very individualized? So individualized. Every single client is different. What works for one kid will not work for another. Even all the time, parents will come to me and be like, I was at a play date the other day, right. and this child's speaking so much more. And I always say, Try your best not to compare to another child. And it's the same with even when I'm working with the children. Yeah. Maybe one child does really well with verbal positive reinforcement, but another kid might need something tangible as a positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. So everything is so different for each child. That's why, back to what we were talking about with the research, there's so much out there. There's so many different methods to work on even articulation or early intervention. So what works for one kid does not work for the other. Absolutely. And recently on a podcast with Gabby Backow, we talked about, again, how not every school is for this every kid or every kid doesn't match the same classes, whatever it is. She said the same thing, you know, listen to your child, learn who your child is, right. and then just don't compare to other people. Right. What if someone said to you, I'm looking to hire a speech therapist? What do you think stands out with you? And then what would you want your child to have from a speech therapist? I think it's so important to see what your speech therapist specializes in, okay. for example, right? So one speech therapist might specialize in the medical side. Mm -hmm. One speech therapist might specialize in social communication disorders. Yep. For me, I specialize in early intervention mm -hmm. and I have a passion for working with articulation and phonological disorders. So I think it's important to see like what areas of maybe special training your speech therapist mm -hmm. has. Right, the prompt that, you had mentioned. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm prompt trained. Yep. So, Or I have other special training for early intervention. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to know those little details. And then what about their personality? 
yes, personality is so important. Like for me, I try and always be enthusiastic yeah. during my sessions. And I think that's something that all the parents talk about yep. because the children feed off of that energy. Absolutely. Like high energy, like high voice, putting a smile on your face. It keeps the child engaged. Mm-hmm. So I think the parents and the child really need to connect with the speech therapist as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I sometimes parents say like, how do you and Rachel have so much energy? Or, you know, <laughs> how does she have a voice after singing for 45 minutes or whatever it is, this high pitched voice um, when we're with the kids. But that's our strong suit. You know, I know with you, all of our parents say, you know, Rachel, my child is so excited. They wait by the door for Rachel to walk in. So I commend you on that. But I do think it's (laughs) extremely important when you're hiring a speech pathologist, if you know, if you can't work with us, then I think – what are you looking for? Look for personality. Do you you match with them? You know, Mm -hmm. same thing with your child. School might not be perfect, but a speech pathologist might not be perfect for them. Exactly. Um, Are they younger? Are they older? Do they need that friend's relationship or do they need someone who's older who's going to maybe be more stern with them? Right. You know, those are all different elements, I'd say. Right. Obviously, you moved down here uh, during COVID and you started working with us shortly after. Has your career really changed since COVID started? My career only really started right before COVID. Mm. So I was working six months in my clinical fellowship. So those who don't know, as a speech therapist, right when you graduate, you have your clinical fellowship for a year where you still need supervision. So I was in my clinical fellowship right when COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And then I moved down here. So I really only had six months (laughs) of practicing. And then COVID hit and everything was on the computer. So my career has definitely been a roller coaster. I went from working in New York City in a school setting to then all of a sudden doing everything on the computer to then going back to a new school in Florida to doing a private practice to now talking with Tata. So it's been like a crazy roller coaster ride. You've been ride. all over. Yep. I've been all over, but I am so happy and content where I am right now. So Great. Yes. We like to hear that. All right. And then, so obviously maybe your career hasn't changed, but have you seen children changed throughout COVID? Their communication style, eye contact, what do you think yes. um, the effect was of COVID? Yes. I think we're seeing a lot of effects from COVID just like lack of socialization for so many children. Mm -hmm. Now all the children who are two or three years old that didn't get to play with other children at such a young age. And I'm very curious to see what maybe the research is going to show years from now to show the effects of COVID on child development. But we are seeing a lot of developmental delays, language delays in children during Mm -hmm. COVID. So that's why it's so important, like we were talking about earlier, if you're seeing that delay, reach out to a speech therapist as soon as possible. Absolutely. And I think that's – honestly, that's why I started this, right? I mean, obviously, I had done uh, private speech therapy prior, but June of 2020, I set up this whole class for my niece. And that kind of started this all because I didn't want them to get left behind. Right. Or deal with people who were maybe, you know, wearing masks all day long so you couldn't see their mouth. And I just didn't want any of that to happen. My last question for you is how do you feel about a collaborative approach? physical therapist, occupational therapist. Do you think that everyone should kind of have a team approach here? What's your opinion on this? Team approach? Definitely. I think it is so important. I was even working with a client the other day and they see an occupational therapist. And I said to the mom, would love to have the occupational therapist's number. What kind of pencils are they using? So that way I can incorporate it in my speech sessions, right? Mm -hmm. We want to have carryover of all the different skills at home. And I think open communication is the most important. So team approach is the way to go. Got it. So it seems as though just the takeaway from today's podcast is parent involvement. Yes. Really learning who your child is, early intervention can never hurt, right? No. Do you have any tips, one final tip just for our parents listening in the Tata community? Yes. My number one tip that I think is the hardest for parents and most don't listen is 
wait time. When you're with your child, a lot of times I go to their houses and they want to answer all the questions for their kid because they say, oh, my kid knows the answer and they know the answer. Wait time. Wait time is pausing. Even if it seems like a long time, five to 10 seconds, pausing, giving your child the opportunity to process Mm -hmm. and make any sort of verbalization or vocalization back is so important. Yep. So wait, wait, wait. I completely agree. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I am lucky to work with you, and I think our families are really lucky to know you and have you working with their kids. So I'm very excited for everyone to listen to this. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Feel free to download and listen at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you enjoy.